You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it, the Rodolfo Rivas Project. When I started with university, uh, my, my friend Esti, who wasn't friends with me yet, she just knocked on my door, she was my, my brother's age, and she said, do you want to come, come do capoeira with me? And we were both kind of shy, and I didn't know. She was the older cool kid at the time, and I was like, okay, let's go do capoeira and together. And did she ask you? Because my brother said, well, maybe, because she said, oh, she wants to do capoeira. She saw them doing it in the park, and my brother said to, to her, well, maybe I'll go ask Marika. She, she might like to do it. And that's how we became friends. <laughs> <laughs> we, went to do, we went to capoeira together. We couldn't do cartwheels or anything. And we started doing cartwheels, we started doing backflips, we started, so it was, we really had to push ourselves to learn these things. And it was like blood blisters and we dedicated ourselves to this completely, totally forgot about university and studies. My parents, we were so happy. My parents were like, okay, for sure Marek is on drugs. We have to, <laughs> we have to do drug tests. There's something wrong with her. She went from a depressed teenager to, to this. So I loved it. But also in that era that we were so into um, into capoeira, Kilbo came out. That was Marika Smith, senior counselor at the Mission of Israel to the WTO. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Thank you for listening. For episode 50, I wanted to do something a little different. And I cannot think of a better guest to track how 10 films have influenced the personal and professional life of someone than my friend and colleague Marika Smith. We have been colleagues for over six years, and we usually talk about international trade, but also about films, music, and popular culture. Hence, let us bring a bit of that conversation to a special podcast episode. We talked about how she became a lawyer, got into international trade, and made her way to Geneva. I had asked her to make a list of 10 influential films, and in our conversation we discussed all of them and how they influenced her. We tried to avoid spoilers, but in some instances we do go into specific plot details. So, sorry for that. I did not know her list beforehand, and I was surprised about how some of her picks. It was a fun conversation, and I enjoyed getting to know her through her film choices. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. The Rodolfo Rivas Project is available on all major platforms or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Please help by spreading the word, recommending us to your friends or enemies. A small act like liking, subscribing, and or reviewing is greatly appreciated. Thank you. The views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this conversation belong to the individuals sharing them and do not necessarily represent the views of their employers. Hello, Marika. It's, uh, we've been colleagues for a while, and now like you're my, my guest for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Rodolfo. <laughs> you you told me that you were like a big podcast fan. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? 
I think it was the shock of uh, being in a house with a family and having one million chores to do and getting bored. So it was not because of COVID-related? It was before COVID. <laughs> it was having to do boring things like the washing and the things like that. And then I, I, started, I, I first uh, started listening to you know, people that I, I knew about and then I started finding the types of podcasts that I like. Actually, like from our conversation, I think that you now listen to way more podcasts than I do. Really? <laughs> Does it show I have too much time on my hands? <laughs> no, because you always tell me, like, I listen to this and I'm like, oh, I haven't, I haven't gotten to that yet. Oh, yeah? <laughs> but it's good. But anyway, so you're a, a, a long-time podcast listener and a first-time guest. Yes. I'm super <laughs> nervous because it's my favorite medium now. <laughs> so, I mean... I, in this episode, we're going to do something different. We're going to talk a bit about that when we get to that. But before we get to that, I, I would like to do a bit of what we traditionally do in this episode and to learn a bit about you. So, you're originally from South Africa. Yeah, I'm South African, uh, born and bred. I only came to Geneva maybe six years ago. Uh, uh, do you want me to... Give me a background of... Uh, I mean, just uh, like a bit about you. Like. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm a lawyer and that's why I'm here. But I, I don't necessarily uh, uh, see myself as a lawyer. Uh, I studied law and uh, business in South Africa. And then uh, I practiced If you don't see yourself bit. as a lawyer, what do you see yourself as? Uh, I like to be... A little bit informed about everything and have an opinion on everything. <laughs> so whatever I'm busy with in life, I, I identify as that. So it's a little bit of a chameleon. So if I'm busy decorating my house, I uh, am a decorator. <laughs> if uh, someone has an illness, I know all about the illness. <laughs> That's probably why I like the podcast so much. Yeah, because you learn a bit of everything. Of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, I think that's the reason. Um, Yeah, so I actually came to Geneva by accident. Like pretty much everyone, I think. Yeah. Well, maybe some, some like planned to, but for me it was also an accident. Yeah, I mean, I was very shocked when I got here and I saw how, how many people was desperate to be in Geneva and it's their life dream. But for me, I, I was a lawyer, I did a few cases on SPS related issues and then someone told me about a master's um, on WTO law and I didn't even know WTO, the word WTO. I was like, what, what's WTO? And I basically started the master's without actually really knowing what this is about. I only knew it had something to do with these SPS cases that I was involved in. And uh, during my, my master's I met my husband who was my, my professor. Yeah. <laughs> he was on mission from the WTO and so our lives became intertwined and uh, he encouraged me to come here actually met you while I was here on an internship at the, the WTO yeah I think we met for the first time when it was a WTO open day yeah and you tried to get me to drink tequila <laughs> no Early we didn't in the tequila it, it was Israeli wine was it Israeli yeah, wine? because it was I was in the. Oh, of course. I was in like the stand of Israel. Yeah, that's true. And that was actually also the first time I tried Israeli wine. It was good. Very good. <laughs> It's very flavor. Yeah. Fruity. 
nice. Um, but then, like you, you came to Geneva because of of Christian, and now you've been here for six 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 years. Yeah, six years working, and we've been colleagues pretty much since like most of your time here in Geneva. Yeah, so I was only here for five months for the internship, and then I came back for for my work in for our work in the mission. So yeah, we've. Uh, been colleagues all that time. Yeah, and also like uh, we we were doing the ministerial late MC12, which was everything was a blur <laughs> during that time. It felt to me like we were doing shots the whole time, even though <laughs> even, though we, <laughs> even though we didn't drink a, a drop. Maybe we should have. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did have a beer, one or two, but. But yeah, like it, it felt like we were drunk. That yeah, it is, that's a blur. And then afterwards, I remember the, the, the morning uh, after we concluded. Well, not that we concluded in the morning. It's like six in the morning. Yeah. And then going home, getting the kids ready for creation, getting as soon as they were off, going to sleep like I, I had a hangover uh, from my yes. youth. <laughs> like, yeah, I did feel like that. And it also, but it was also, it was exhilarating. It like, was. I, like I remember being in the room, you were also in the room, like with everyone. It felt like a big party. Yeah, and you sat down, uh, uh, next to the minister, the trade minister okay. from India. Yeah. And yesterday I saw a photo of him on the BBC News, and I thought, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, and actually you had, we had like a brief conversation with him. Yeah. What was it? Uh, it, as he entered the room, and we were not yet privy to all the the ins and outs of uh, the outcome, he was like, so what do you think of the outcome? And we are like, no, well, tell us <laughs> what we agreed. And uh, he was telling us about how some people, that you can't get everything you want, it's a give and take. And he was, you could see he was happy with the outcome. It was Yeah, and he was moment. trying to say that it was like the biggest outcome yeah. In WTO's history, yes. I think. Yes. That's, that's how he put it. He put it like that. Yeah. My, my feeling was that he came with that strategy <laughs> and that he pulled it off. So. Yeah, I think that that, that ministerial is something that I'll, I'll remember as long as I live because it was like, it was crazy times, but it was also, it also showed that the WTO is still here and we're like doing yeah. work, although since then, like there has been some criticisms about the uh, the outcome, but I don't think that anyone can take away what happened during that ministerial. If you compare where we were when the DG announced that we're going to have a ministerial to what we had at the end of it, I mean, when she announced, it, I was like, oh, okay, this is the end of the WTO because it's impossible. We will never be able to do anything. We'll not even have ministers here. And the progress as it went along, it's remarkable. And it shows that really what we need to do is probably change the way we see the WTO and our attitudes toward it, because I think that's the key. I think that's a, a great point because just a few months before, like everything in the media, and I mean, we don't live here in a bubble, well, we kind of do, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everything in the media was like really negative about mm -hmm. the WTO and it got to us like 
myself, I also like felt negative. And I think that, and the DG mentioned this several times, I think that uh, after that, that has, that has stopped a bit. And although there's still some criticism, maybe some is uh, um, valid criticism, I think that the environment is not entirely negative because of what happened. And I think that us, here in the WTO, like doing the work that we do, like feel more optimistic. Yeah. So if, if that's the only outcome, and that's not the only outcome, but if that were the only outcome, I think that that's very positive. I agree with you. Yeah, if we s I think we set, the st we set the stage for what's going forward. Also, it's expectations. It's, we can't have a huge agreement every ministerial. Yeah. We just have to make progress towards what we ultimately want. Um, and I think we've done exactly that. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, so we talked a bit about uh, WTO, very briefly about you. <laughs> now, like, I think that uh, the idea of this uh, conversation when I, when I invited you, I don't remember exactly how did I, I plan to have this conversation, but I think I said something like, I want you to prepare a list of 10, like, uh, I think I said movies, but it could have been music or anything yeah. that were influential in your life. And yeah. you did that. Uh, <laughs> how did you work on it? Well, actually, I mean, it's, I tried to think about the movies I've watched through, through my life. And at the same time, the people I watched it with. So the people I spent most time with, I actually contacted them like, what is it? What did we watch? Oh, yeah. I didn't, think, uh, uh, I didn't think you were going to take it so seriously. No, but it was fun. <laughs> I'm a big fan of podcasts <laughs> and uh, of movies and of life and of these interesting conversations. So it was also a good opportunity to, to connect with people from my past. And we were discussing the movies and the things we experienced while we were watching those movies. So it's actually a fun process. But it turns out that, I mean, it's also difficult when you, uh, put, uh, when you put the list together. Do you want to have a list of the coolest movies so that people listening think that you're very cool? <laughs> or the ones of who course. really had a, of course, of course <laughs> who really had an impact on you? And wasn't necessarily your favorite movies, but something that changed your yeah, life a I little mean, bit. I'm a big film fanatic, and there are some movies that I, I appreciate and I understand them to be like really good movies, yeah. but they're not necessarily my favorite movies or the movies that impacted me the most. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they're even the, the movies that the critics call the worst movies. Those are, have like the biggest impact. Exactly, and I have some of those. <laughs> even for me, like as a, I don't know if like as an aspiring filmmaker, sometimes the worst movies are better because at least when I watch them, it's like, if someone did that, I, I can do better than that. Yeah. So it inspires me to, like, maybe I can also do it. And I've heard that uh, Kevin Smith, one of the filmmakers who were really influential early in my, in my life, he said that when he saw some of these movies and he thought, I definitely can do better than that. That's what uh, prompted him to make his first film. But that's such a good lesson in life to learn. I mean, sometimes when I read a book and I'm like, wow, I could, I could write a book or an article or something like this, or I can, like I told you, decorate, or I can actually understand this thing in life. 
it, nothing is above you at the end of the day. So you need those reminders of not the best movies that you can do it too. Well, I, I also want to mention that I haven't seen the list, so mm -hmm. I will be reacting to it as we speak. <laughs> And I'm really curious to see what you came up with. I hope you know the movies. Some of them, I'm sure you do. So I'll go in chronological order from, from the first movies that... I'm, I'm so thrilled that you really took this very seriously. <laughs> okay, shall we start with them? Yeah. Okay, so the first movies is actually... It's so it's a list of ten. Yeah, okay. it's a list of ten, or and some of the some of them are actually like a bundle of movies. Okay. So the first ones are Pink Panther movies from the 90s, 1960s. Do you know them? Which one? Pink Panther movies. Ah, with Steve Martin. So th those are the, like the remake, reboot movies uh, lately, but the 1960 movies. Ah, the original ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with yes. Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. I've never watched them. Uh, Yeah, so tell me. <laughs> yeah, so, so when I was small, we would have uh, movie nights with my parents. And my mom loved these movies. So every now and they were many, I don't know, 10, 11, I don't know how many. Yeah. So we'd, we'd, we would watch them, and I just thought they were hilarious. But more than that, they were set in the 1960s in Paris or in Europe. So this was my idea of... Of Europe of Europe and it was just so I loved it. So so to this day I wish I can have a date with like a Scandinavian blonde man <laughs> <laughs> in a ski slope somewhere with a fire in front of me and because it just looks so fabulous. But also it informed my idea of what's funny. He was just so hilarious, Peter Sellers. Well Peter Sellers is like a legend. Yeah. Uh, he worked with Kubrick in Doctor Strangelove. And I was aware of these movies, and I think I've watched like fragments, um, but I've never, I've never watched one like a full movie. Yeah. And I think that because like you said that your mom introduced you to them, my like mom to me, no one introduced me to them. So yeah, yeah, I would have had to come to them like on my own, and I don't know. Like I think I recall them having like a lot of slapstick comedy. It's very Is that slapstick. True? Yeah. Like the piano falls on someone's head. <laughs> but then I watched it again. So I laughed at that when I was a child. But then I watched it again in my 20s with my, my flatmate, Esty, who's now still my best friend. And this is also how we bonded and became friends. We would just lock ourselves in the flat and not answer the door if someone rings the bell and watch these movies. Other movies also, but these movies. And then I realized, oh, it's more than just a slapstick uh, comedy. There's way more to it. Yeah, he's... I mean, nothing wrong with slapstick comedy, but I think that Peter Sellers is a more sophisticated comedian than, than that. Yeah, so they were brilliant. And this, I was also, like what you mentioned about like your, your view or how you imagine Europe to be. Like I had, not about this movie, but like I think that my perception of Europe was completely shaped by movies. And I imagined like Europe to be like similar to What you would imagine, what you would see in a born identity movie with born like with small alleyways and like small streets, yeah. like uh, not paved, like like that's how I imagine Europe. And when I first came to Europe, I came to Spain, and you, like it was just like Mexico. So <laughs> like this is not Europe. <laughs> yeah. So you you first landed, your first like experience landing in Europe was in Spain. Spain. Yeah, and I didn't even see much. Uh, of Madrid, 
which I imagine like Madrid is like a, a big cosmopolitan city. So I came directly to that train station. But when I first arrived to Alicante, which was the city where I would spend one year, it was it was just like going to the beach in Mexico. Oh wow. So it was not so like was not I was disappointed. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also I kind of had the same experience because I my the first time I came, I was 25, and we landed in Rome, but we only spent like two or three hours there. And then we immediately had to take a train, take a ferry, and we went to Montenegro. And uh, no, Montenegro, like, it's, it's, it's fabulous. Like more European. Yeah, but. In, in what you would imagine. Not, yeah, there were like still bullet walls in the. Uh, bullet holes in the walls, and. Uh, so it wasn't like the fancy Paris that I saw in the in the Pink Panther movies. But, you know, I, I understood it was a different situation, but still. And when, when you were watching these movies, how was your mother explaining them to you? That's, I think that's also the interesting things about, I mean, I was probably like five, six, they had no interest in explaining movies to me. Like we watched Schindler, Schindler's List when it came out and I was a small little kid. 1992? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I was born in 84. So, so I was eight, nine years old. Uh, I suppose it was a different area where we were allowed to... And you to sat watch. through all of it. Yeah. It was very... I mean, I didn't include this in the list, but I loved that movie. It was... It, it, Even then, like, you remember? Yeah. And I was very interested... I was always interested in Europe and European history. and. Um, but that was more than the history of it moved the 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 human aspect of it really moved me even even as a little kid. It's very good. Yeah, I mean, when I first watched Schindler's List, I I was already aware of uh, Spielberg being like one of our best filmmakers. So I was in awe about, uh, from a technical perspective. But what you're saying, like the, the story was very like very touching, and yeah. it was something that. I felt like I was watching like kind of like something that was bigger, like something yeah. more important. Exactly. Yeah. And I think he also probably handled it like that because, and he, even as a child who is so ignorant, the subtle messages that he tried to convey, he was able to do. So it was actually, it's a brilliant movie. There's a. Well, there's two things, like, there's many, but there's two that I actually find myself, like, coming back to from children's list, like, all the time. Like, one is uh, the famous scene with the little girl in the red, uh, red dress that you, like, see what happened to her, mm. that I think was brilliant st storytelling. And another one that I keep coming back, like, time and again, is there's a scene where there's two, two soldiers, and there's, like, all this chaos going on, and... There's someone playing the piano, and they're arguing about uh, who the who is the the author of the the piece that they're playing. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's like it's like so these soldiers are very cultured, yeah. and yet they're doing like atrocities that are, can speak like so the 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 duality between the two is something that is just amazing and something that I see every day. Yeah, and I mean, 
it is an interesting way for him to convey that message also, isn't it? Because he, 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 did, he didn't say, oh, look, here's the cultured person who can also kill someone. So to think of this scene where he's going to have this fight over uh, a piece of music to convey that message, it's brilliant. And I didn't even realize that that message was conveyed to me. Now that you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, I realized, I probably realized that during the movie. So um, very smart. Yeah. Well, he's one of our, even to this day, like, he's one of our best filmmakers. And I, I actually sometimes I'm, I cannot believe that we still live in a time where Steven Spielberg keeps making films. Yeah. And I line up for them, like, <laughs> and I will until the last film he makes, which will be a sad day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, I haven't watched any of these Pink Panther movies. I, not even the Steve Martin remake one. Well, Steve Martin is also like a brilliant comedian. Exactly. But uh, from what I understand, like his films did not live up to the, the high standard of the originals. I mean, I'm also, I'm a fan of his, but I decided not to watch it because I, I, I couldn't imagine them capturing what I loved from those movies. I mean, it was a different era. Like, but, films were exactly. made differently. And uh, even if Steve Martin is a brilliant comedian, I think that the, the way to make films changed. And I think that the 60s ones were also capturing like, the sidegust of the era. Yeah. I mean, they were making jokes in those movies that you certainly cannot make today yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, like now, in the 90s, well, in the 90s, maybe you could make a few, yeah. but I'm amazed at how times have changed, that jokes that were uh, were possible even like three, four years ago, yeah. like are impossible now. Yeah, just doing an accent, yeah. for example, would be not funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll have to watch some of, of these movies, but it's a great, a great first choice. <laughs> Well, the next movie that was definitely very influential, and we spoke about this a little before, it's definitely not great movies. <laughs> I would just, I, there's no specific one, but the category of TV movies slash Hallmark movies. Yeah. In South Africa, we had three channels. And they were, there was one paid channel, but my parents didn't think it's important to pay for TV. <laughs> I also didn't have cable until like very late in life yeah me too. when I was, I was like, 20 or something. yeah so I was like and then I could watch all the cool things but before that I would watch TV movies and Hallmark movies and there are many of them but for me Hallmark was one of the was a cable channel like it was not part yeah. of the so I had to wait until I had cable to watch it I don't know if we even had real Hallmark okay Hallmark type films yeah and this is actually the word, when you and I spoke about them, this is actually the word you used. They were kind of preachy. But they really informed my idea of what I should be like, what the world is like. I told you that there's this, uh, I watched this movie about this very nice girl. She came from a small town and she moved to a different town. And she fell in with the wrong crowd. So she did very innocent things, but it was just portrayed as, oh, she's racy, you know, and now she, she's with this guy who went too far with her, and now she's pregnant, now her life is ruined. Okay, this is the lesson. <laughs> so, little Mareike is scared of falling into the wrong crowd. Someone, if someone does something wrong, I'm like, no, nope, this is not for me. 
I think that this type of movies like follow the tradition of like those stories to that were told in the olden days like to to show you like the way that you should behave yeah the fables uh, the cautionary tales yeah like, if you do this this is going to happen yeah. and yeah the fables and little red stories. riding hood listen to your parents or the wolf will get you so like i think that they are they were functioning in society kind of like that yeah that way so so i guess that means that you are well behaved <laughs> Sometimes, yes very well behaved <laughs> but which movie was this or is it like just like a category of movies there are just there are many of them is there like some that you remember yeah there was one of uh, and i don't recall the name it's of 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 robin hood and what's the name robin of locksley robin of locksley i also watch that <laughs> Like, and I, and I loved watch, it. I, I didn't watch many Hallmark movies. Yeah. But I remember that at the time, because I think it was Devon Sawa, who was in Idle Hands and uh, Final Destination. Mm -hmm. And also uh, the girl from Scrubs, Sarah Schalke, I think that's her name. And Pacey. Uh, Joshua Jackson from. Oh, yes. From I think that's probably Dustin's why Creek. I watched this movie. That's why I watched it. Yeah, me because too. I, I I was, at the time I was watching Dawson's Creek. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this guy doing in this? Yeah. Thing? So, normally I wouldn't watch Hallmark movies, but I watched this. I don't even remember like uh, the story, but there's like, it's like a prep school or something exactly. like that. Something and, like, I and don't remember. Robin of Loxley, the character played by Devon Sawa, is like in a archery competition or something like that. Yeah. But again, I, 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 and somehow I think he was the, the underdog. He always tried hard and he came out on top. It was always that type of theme of, yeah. of you just keep on going. If you're a good person, you come out at the top. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think Hallmark movies, they're, they still, there's still an audience for them. Yeah. I didn't watch them anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> yeah. And then the other movie that I watched as a kid uh, was Grease 2. Yeah. I didn't know Grease 1 existed. <laughs> <laughs> so we had it on videotape. It was one of maybe the three movies we had on videotape. I've never watched it. It's with Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle I know Pfeiffer. it's Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, she's a, she became a big star. She's like a... a Bigger than life uh, celebrity who's actually married to David E. Kelly, a lawyer who created all the the lawyer TV shows from the 90s, yeah, which were really influential in me becoming a lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of court uh, drama TV, and that's basically why I'm a lawyer. That and John Grisham, who wrote all of all these all the books. My books brother read all those books. He also became a lawyer because of that. Yeah. Did you watch Ale? What Ale? Law. No, I didn't watch that. But I, 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 don't know, more, I think that I'm. I think that was a bit before my time. Yeah, my what I started watch watching that. was uh, the practice. Mm -hmm. Ali McBeal. Ali McBeal. Yeah, yeah, which are shows by David E. Kelly. Yeah, they were great. Uh, but yeah, that and John Grisham is why I'm a lawyer. So maybe one day I'll have something to well, talk to. Well, indirectly, <laughs> it's why I'm a lawyer because I was studying business and didn't like it that much. So I changed my my path because my brother was studying law and I was interested and he became a lawyer because of those things so, so it just goes to show one person can change people's lives like that well and especially in your in your life like your 
your older brother. Yeah. You he, kind of like he's my idol. Idolize him yeah. for sure. Even now, probably. Even now, <laughs> he's in Rome right now, having the time of his life. I'm I'm at work. <laughs> But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, like uh, I think that she. There's no, from what I understand, because I don't, I haven't never watched the movie, but I've heard about it. I've like read about it. It has nothing to do with the original. There's no re returning characters. No. I think that. Oh, there's one. There's one pink lady. So tell me about. I it. don't know what her name. I don't remember her name. It's the small one with the red curls. But when I was thinking about your question, like what was the most influential, and I thought about, yeah, I watched Chris too, but was it influential? And I realized it was the most influential movie in my life because I just thought Michelle Pfeiffer was the coolest person on earth. And she is. <laughs> and she is. And in that movie, the thing in that movie is she was wearing her, her pink jacket and she was just fabulous. But she always kind of resisted being fabulous. You understand that, that that person was thrown into being cool, but she wasn't that interested in it. And I think I shaped my whole personality on that. So, so she was always a little bit indifferent, and I always, I think I always tried to emulate that. I think to my detriment. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I when she when the the person that she her love interest in the movie what was his name. Uh, I can't remember, but he was very good looking, like this British guy that came to the school, new in the school, and then he built his own um, motorcycle, and he was the cool rider, and she would see him go while she was working at night, and then the the T-Birds, they were all interested in her, but she wanted this cool rider, and nobody knew who he was, so this was also my idea of the perfect so man. So it's like... And you ended up marrying like a motorcycle. Type. I did, <laughs> and also the guy was not like your normal run-of-the-mill cool person. It was a little bit of the the strange person. I don't want to say something <laughs> that <laughs> I don't want to insult him. I mean it in the best way. <laughs> so it's a bit like it takes some cues. The story of Greece too takes some cues from the original, but it like repackages in a different. Yeah. Okay. And I think it was a massive fail Actually, in terms of what everyone thought, but I adored it. It's usually like swept under the rug, like no one even, few people even know it exists. Yeah. I, I don't know, like I remember when I first learned about it, I'm like what is this? Like it was like something that was like a footnote. Like, yeah, in the and some people even tried to convince me it's a parody on Greece One, but it's not. <laughs> it's, well, I don't think so. Uh, well, I'm a big fan of the of the original and sadly Olivia Newton-John passed away like a few days ago yeah but the original for me was really influential like, oh really uh, well I love musicals yeah and perhaps I can't recall but I'm almost sure that this is like the first musical that I was really interested in and also because it was really accessible oh yeah and they also did a they did it as a play in my school I was not in the in the play, but like I just like know all the songs, and it's like really, really catchy. And the movie itself is also like uh, really good. And I think uh, I watched it maybe like a couple of years ago. It still it holds up. Yeah, it holds up, and it looks great. Uh, it's amazing. No, I agree. I also love musicals, but I think my first musical that I watched was was it what's his name? Gene Kelly. The do you know him? 
You're like you're like old school. I love yeah. old school things, but it's also much <laughs> yeah, shown that in our t in our TV so played at night. Singing in the rain, you're talking about. Yeah, singing rain. But my favorite was Ahoy Sailors or something like that. And he was just the sailor suit that he was wearing. So it was like the broad shoulder and everything. And he was doing because I did ballet and dance as a child. So I loved looking at the way he moves and him singing. And he was just such a kind soul kind of person. Uh, very yeah. cool. And are you talking about like uh, the way that he moved? Like I think I remember hearing Jackie Chan saying that a lot of his career he he based it on like Gene Kelly. Like, like and he also mm -hmm. said that like him and his action scenes, like he almost view them as like a dance yeah. like number because like it's just moving in front of the camera is like a dance. Like yeah. in the way, same way that Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire or all this like old movie stars yeah. did. Well, actually, this is bringing me to my next phase of movies because I had a capoeira phase. And capoeira is martial arts that's disguised as a dance. Okay. No, I, I'm really familiar with capoeira from playing video games. Oh, there was, yeah. There was a, there was a, a game that I... I used to play, I think it's called Fatal Fury. Yeah. And one of the fighters used to play capoeira. Yeah. Just like that was his style. Like usually every fighter has like a different fighting style. And I remember seeing the one capoeira, like this looks so differently. Like yeah. it looks like, it looks like a dance. It is. I actually didn't play any, uh, but I was so obsessed with capoeira that I didn't, I didn't play any video games or anything. But then someone told me about that. And then I started playing so I can do that. But yeah, so that I, I cannot imagine you doing that. You have to show me a video. Really? Okay. I was. Oh you can do all those like turns and things. I okay. So I grew up not being able to do any gymnastics. I didn't do. I did dance, but I never did like a cartwheel in my life. So when I was about 16 or so, 15, I went to art school. So I stopped doing sports or anything, and it was just kind of depressing and then when I started with university uh, my, my friend Esty who wasn't friends with me yet she just knocked on my door she was my, my brother's age and she said do you want to come, come do capoeira with me and we were both kind of shy and I didn't know she was the older cool kid at the time and I was like okay let's go do capoeira and together. And did she ask Because my brother said well maybe because she said oh she wants to do capoeira she saw them doing it in the park and my brother said to, to her well, maybe I could ask Marika. She she might like to do it, and that's how we became friends. <laughs> <laughs> we went to do we went to capoeira together. We couldn't do cartwheels or anything, and we started doing cartwheels. We started doing backflips. We started so it was. We really had to push ourselves to learn these things, and it was like blood blisters. And we dedicated ourselves to this completely. Totally forgot about university and studies. My parents. We were so happy. My parents were like, okay, for sure Marika is on drugs. We have, to, <laughs> we have to do drug tests. There's something wrong with her. She went from a depressed teenager to, to this. So I loved it. But also in that era that we were so into, um, into capoeira, Kill Bill came out. Oh my God. And that changed my life. <laughs> and yeah, before we talk about Kill Bill, because I do have many things to say about that. <laughs> um, are you still doing capoeira? So, I sometimes I would sit in a W2O meeting and imagine I'm, I'm 
on a very nice flat area because I can see a flat area and think, oh, that would be perfect. And I just think of the flow of the capoeira moves. But I think literally I, my, my body would tear apart if I <laughs> tried to do something. <laughs> but you were doing it like as a... Because I've seen also some trainings where actually here in Geneva. Yeah. Uh, in the Rue de Confederation. Like I've seen like people like doing stuff, but not as a fight, like more like as a coordinated thing. Were you doing like fight or like like the moves just for doing them? But the fight is something you call it a roda. So you you make a circle of people around and then you go you, you go with one person that you're gonna fight or dance with and you, st you stand and they let you go in. And everyone's making music and singing songs and everything. And yes, it looks like a coordinated dance, but the point is, if someone is kicking towards you, you move at the same time out of the way, and you're not really supposed to be hitting each other. If someone kicks you, it's because you're not very good at getting out of the way. But the idea is not to kick, kick, kick each other. But we would go all around the country to different rodas and go dances. My, that's why my parents got so concerned. I would just disappear <laughs> because we would go to different places and uh, it was some of my best friends still to, still to this day I met there. So it's not a, a, a fighting martial art? No, we... So like they cheated me in the game? Yeah. In the video game. <laughs> you, I, I mean, you could use it, but the idea is not to... Yeah, well, I guess... We have a, a colleague who does also like martial arts and basically like the martial art that he does is also not for fighting. So I guess all of the martial arts are not for fighting. Exactly. By the way, the one person that I met there, he was uh, the son of a, a preacher uh, and he, he was also obsessed with capoeira like we were. And now I say, I don't know him anymore, but he was an Afrikaans little boy from Pretoria. And now I see as a stuntman in Hollywood because he learned capoeira there. And he's literally going around the world doing stunts for huge movies. And I'm like, how cool is this, huh? Really? Son of a Preacher, like the song. <laughs> hmm? There's a song called Son of a Preacher. Oh, Where? yes, exactly. That's why, <laughs> that's why I said it. <laughs> okay, I think it's in a Tarantino movie, which brings us to your next movie. Yeah. So Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill. So, again, we were locked. We, we watched it in the movies. I've, I didn't even know about Quentin Tarantino. I was, was your first Quentin I was my first one. I mean, I probably heard about it. Also, late night, I saw a late night interview actually with him. Uh, and he was talking about how he was inspired. Uh, For promoting this, this film? I, I think it was probably before that. And I didn't know even who it was that I saw. Yeah. But he just spoke about how he uh, watched these Kung Fu movies as a kid and how he loved it and all the, the, how interesting the genre is. And then later, I think, I watched Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's an amazing experience to watch Tarantino talk about films because he talks about them, like, so passionately. Yeah. Like, it feels that he's, like, just talking about the best thing in the world and the way that he talks about it and the details, uh, everything, and all the stories. Like, it's just, even if you don't like films, like, makes you want to, like, like films. Which, by the way, he has now a new podcast, which I'm obsessed with, in which he talks about three movies every episode with one of his best friends who was a co-writer in, in Pulp Fiction, Roger Avery. And uh, it's amazing. I do not recommend it enough. It's called The Video Archives. I really should listen to that. <laughs> Add it to my rotation. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Kill Bill, 
it was my first Tarantino movie that I watched at the theater. And I was like, because of the first two, uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, I watched after the fact that I guess I was too young to watch them at the theater. And then his follow-up, uh, Jackie Brown, I didn't watch it in the theater, I don't remember why. Like, I think that many at the time like saw it as a disappointment because it was not in line with his previous films. It was something completely unexpected from him. And I, I remember when I watched it, probably in video, I was also a bit disappointed, but since then I've, I've come to appreciate it and I really like it. I think it's a very mature piece of work. But Kill Bill was the movie that I was expecting after Pulp Fiction. It was the movie that we all wanted him to make after Pulp Fiction. And I did see that at the theater. I was so excited. Uh, I remember, I, I think I even went again, like immediately after. Yeah. I think we watched it the, the Saturday night. It was amazing. It energized me completely. And then Esti and I went again. Oh no, we watched it on the Friday night and, sat, and the Saturday morning we went and we watched it again. And after that we had capoeira practice. And we were like, oh, like literally our blood was just flowing and we, we just, I think it was li li the best day of capoeira I've ever had. Things I could never do before because of that energy of that movie. But also you spoke about um, music that's influential. The music from his movies, okay. I listen on repeat. I mean, it's just, I love it. I remember, like, I just listened to the soundtracks. Like, I remember exactly. buying the soundtracks, and sometimes it has, like, the little snippets from the movie. So, yeah. like, the dialogue, and, like, I love those, like, and how one song follows the other. Yeah. The one that he, um, about, I don't know what's the title, it's, uh, the title of the song, it's Down in Mexico. Yeah, but that's, that's from, it's from his next movie. Yeah. Uh, Dead Proof. From Death yeah. Proof. So that was playing in my car when uh, Christian came to South Africa for the first time. And I sneakily switched it on, see if he will have a reaction because, you know, he's Mexican. Will he think I'm cool because I listened to this very cool song? But he didn't even register it. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a. With my wife, I, I put that song to her. Yeah. Like I went to, like, down in Mexico, although it has nothing to do with Mexico. <laughs> I just to show her about Mexico. Um, but I was going to say also that uh, Kill Bill, it, I, went, I went to watch it with a friend and I remember my friend being shocked at the violence. Mm. You were not shocked at the violence? Uh, I was not shocked at the violence. The only time I was shocked at the violence from one of his movies that I really didn't enjoy, I have to tell you, is um, what's the, one of the latest ones with the slave? The slavery? Um, Django. Django I, Unchained. I, at some points, I couldn't watch. Yeah. And I didn't want to. And I was like, it's hard for me to watch this movie. I can see the brilliance of it, but it's hard for me to watch the movie. But the fact that you mentioned that, so, again, Esti, my friend, she was doing her, um, her dissertation because she also studied law and philosophy of law. And it was about violence in movies. Oh, really? Yeah, and how it's, how it's rated and how, what should be included and what should it be based on. And she watched Kill Bill as part of that. She watched Natural Born Killers. Uh, I think I wrote down the, some of the others. I don't remember all of them. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Clockwork Orange, uh, Reservoir Dogs. So when 
Kill Bill came out around that same time. We watched all of these movies to, to look at the, the violence in the movies. Uh, I don't know, I'm not very shocked by... I wasn't shocked at, by it at the time, but as I get older, I think it's becoming harder for me to see violence, and especially after I've had children. Yeah, I it's think hard I, for I, me. Can, I can clearly uh, divide my time before having children mm -hmm. and after. Yeah. Like you become more self-conscious. Yes. But when I was watching them, like I never thought they were violent, but I remember my friend commenting specifically at the beginning of the scene, there's, uh, it's in black and white, and it's Uma Thurman, Mm -hmm. the bride and she's like with blood and yeah. it's when when Bill shoots her and I think this happens off screen it doesn't happen like uh, you don't see it mm -hmm. but my friend commenting that that was too violent like I, I didn't see it well actually part of the theme that she explored in her, th in her thesis was when we see violence and the violence as a, is a result of revenge how our tolerance for violence goes up. Does it or does it not go up? And uh, I think no way it does. If you just see an innocent man walking, like the slave walking, and he is just brutalized by the slave owner, it is painful to watch. Mm. But if the bride is getting revenge you're on both, you're like, yeah, look at the blood. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. Your reaction to it is completely different. Yeah, right. From storytelling point of view, also like you, you're invested in the character. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I I remember watching Kill Bill like again and again and again, and I I think that that was the film that cemented my my. Well, Tarantino says that the best, the the purest uh, form of cinema is action cinema hmm. because it's like it's something that is exclusively of cinema. Other types of drama, comedy, they can be, a, they can be the medium of novels, the medium of theater, uh, but action is the exclusive medium of, of cinema. Yeah. And that is the purest uh, way of cinema because it's a way that you juxtapose like uh, one, one shot with another and the music and everything, like it just works in cinema. And I think that his achievement in Kill Bill is yeah. It's amazing, yeah. especially at the time because a few years before we had seen like The Matrix and movies like this, which we we thought changed. No, we, we didn't think like they did change uh, cinema, but everything then became like a copy of those movies. Yeah. And this one was trying to do something like a filmmaking that was before those movies, like more old school. Exactly. And that's why, like myself, I responded a lot to it. I love that. I mean, I think before this movie, I didn't even realize how cool action movies could be. I mean, I watched The Matrix and I, and I adored it, but I wasn't into the action of it necessarily so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we have... <sighs> and you also watched uh, Kill Bill 2? Kill Bill, like, yep. After. Yeah. I couldn't wait until, until the second part because I think that at the end of the of the movie, it says part two. It's and it had to wait like six months or something yeah. like that. I don't remember how the, the sequence of it. I must, I must admit, I don't recall uh, 
watching the second one, except that I liked it, and that my cousin told me it's juvenile, and I got very upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you clearly do not understand what he's trying to do. And I think that there's also a cut of the movie, or maybe it's an official cut by Tarantino, where there's the two, two films together, like back to back, but not only one after the other. I think that there's some scenes that there were also like, uh, to make it like one, one long film, which yeah. was originally his intention, but yeah. then like he had to cut it. Yeah. Yeah, Kill Bill, I have to watch it again. Yeah, me too, oh. I'm just <laughs> thinking about it. Because actually, I, I now I remember that we actually bought, back in the day, we still had DVDs. We had the DVDs and we were watching them over and over. I yeah. uh, wonder what happened to them. And I even bought like a, a figure of the bride. Like, oh, yeah? Like, uh, with, uh, with that yellow tracksuit, which is iconic, made iconic by Bruce Lee. But I think that uh, in the iteration of the bride, it's as, as, as iconic as the original one. Yeah. It was actually because of her yellow tracksuit, my, my colors and capoeira, because you had to have your colors and your, your clothes. Mine was the yellow and uh, black and white. Mm. I was so proud of it. I was nothing, <laughs> I, I was nothing like Uma Thurman. But <laughs> and I also like recently just watched uh, Pulp Fiction at the theater for the first time, and it was an amazing experience. So I can't I, even imagine. I, I can't wait to see if Kill Bill holds up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually a little bit earlier, as a teenager, I think the opposite of what Grease 2 was for me, I watched Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Did, ah, did you watch that? I've never watched it. Oh no! <laughs> I know of it. Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. At the height of the Friends fame. Exactly. Um, I mean, I haven't, at that point I haven't watched Friends, by the way. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I know it's a, a cult film. Tarantino was dating Mira Sorvino. Oh, yeah. And I think that in, in the movie, in Romy and Michelle's uh, high school reunion, there's, uh, because Tarantino does his own trademarks, and he had a trademark of red apple cigars. And in the movie, I guess, because of the relationship with Mira Sorvino, you can see like a red apple cigar, yeah. which are from the Tarantino universe. Wow. They made it into the Romeo That's and Chill. That's cool. But I've never watched it. I know it's a cult fa film. Everyone, many people talk great things about it, but yeah, I've never watched it. I watch it over and over, and many of my friends watch it over and over with me. And I think it gave me permission to not try to be so cool all the time. Because also I'm from a small town where what you wear, how you speak, it's everything. You, I mean, you have to be cool. Actually from my town there are many, uh, there are filmmakers, bands, uh, that's now influential in South Africa. It was a pretty cool place. Uh, but these two, Romy and Michelle, they were just so, what is <laughs> so the, funny. What's the story? I don't even know. Like they're going back to their high school reunion, yeah. but they're not cool and they want to appear to be Yeah, they were kind of cool. failures in life and not that cool. They were never part of the cool group. And they're their own way. They were kind of outsiders, which I like to see myself as, which I wasn't necessarily an outsider, but I, you know, every teenager wants to be the outsider. And so they would, um, they were living together in LA uh, not particularly succe successful and then they tried to pretend that they are um, the one was a uh, invented post-it and the other one was a cool <laughs> okay. so it was it's just hilarious and the, the one-liners from those movies I 
mean, we basically spoke in Roman Michelle language <laughs> to each other. I actually, we switched from speaking Afrikaans to each other to speaking English to each other so that we can quote the movie. And then when I got to university, everyone around me was like, why do you two speak English to each other? Like, I, oh, oops, yeah, okay, sorry, you don't so realize it's from Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> you are who, Romy? Um, <laughs> I was a bit Romy and Michelle. Actually, at the end of the movie, end of the movie they're like, uh, you're the Romy and I'm the Michelle. You have to watch this movie. It's yeah, a whole thing about who is the Romy and who is the Michelle. And it's like, so it's like a comedy? Like it's, it's a comedy. Um, I don't know how to, I, I don't know if it was a new way of making comedy because, but yeah, it's absolutely a comedy. I don't know why I didn't watch it at the time because I, I mean, it came and I remember seeing it, but it just like didn't, didn't gravitate towards it. Uh, I thought it was just silly, but yeah, I, I should, I should. But that said, I think before that I thought, okay, I watch serious movies. You know, I watched the. I, I was the old in a phase where I was watching like really serious movies. Yeah. That's why probably. Yeah, and then, like I said, it gave me permission to be silly, and that then after that I watched Zoolander, which I also thought I would be too cool to watch something as silly as Zoolander, and wow, super my favorite movies. That's also on your list. Yeah. So Zoolander is the next one. Yeah, Zoolander. Uh, I think I was like my end of high school when I watched yes. Zoolander. Uh, and also inform my jokes from there on. But, it, but more than anything, it introduced me to people that I didn't know before, uh, like Owen Wilson and Will Ferrell. Yeah. She's like my like favorite comedian. Or what's the, the mm? character's name? Mbutu? Yeah. What is it? Mbutu? <laughs> Mbutu, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It's just the funniest. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch that at the theater, and I only came late to Zulander, but I loved it. I, I just thought the, that the conceit of the movie was like brilliant. Like uh, these two, which actually there's a story by Brett Easton Ellis, the writer of American Psycho, who like in one of the series of the book he talks about like models doing like like uh, like spy work and like doing uh. like this. And I think this, I don't know which came first, I don't know if that book came first and then like uh, they took that but in a more comedy like take, but uh, there's some truth to that. <laughs> yeah, I actually heard an interview with, about that the other day, no I don't remember, but he, um, Ben Stiller was saying just how funny, he thought how funny it would be that this these models and actors would be the most, they, it's so silly, but they would be the most influential hmm. uh, people in the world by being assassins and spies. And he's right, it's just the concept of it is hilarious. And there's also another uh, a movie directed by George Clooney, who's supposed to be based on a, on a story of a real uh, game show host, the host of The Gong Show. Who he was a host of this show, but he was I can't remember his name. And it's in the movie it's played by by this guy from Moon. Well, uh, it, like he was a, the host of the show, but he was also a spy. Mm. And Clooney made a movie about it. So I guess that there's like there's a history of this. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think it was real, but uh, at least they they thought that it was real. And the movie Solander is like. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. so funny. 
I mean, my son is quoting it. He doesn't know it. <laughs> but so, he hasn't watched it. He hasn't watched it. But when at some point, Mugot, Mugatu, Mugatu, I don't know. I can't believe I can't remember his name. He gets angry and he says, I'm a hot little potato. <laughs> and uh, I say it all the time. And when, when, when my son gets angry and I can see he's got a lot of anger in his, in his body, I say, oh, you're just a hot little potato right now. So he goes around and he's in a bad mood. It's like, oh, mom, I'm just a hot little potato. I, mean, I, just, I just love that he is quoting that movie. And I think that this was probably one, like at the early... At the early, well, Ben Stiller had been making movies for some time, but I think this was like soon after There's Something About Mary, which was like uh, when he became like a big comedy star. Yeah. And maybe this was, yeah, like soon after that. Yeah. And then he went like on a run with like many movies. And the sequel came out like many, many years later. Yeah. And I was a bit disappointed by it. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed, I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy it that much. Uh, But I, I think it's very difficult. You don't know what will hit and what will not. I, I felt in the sequel, it was just too filled with famous people and they just wanted to yeah, get them like, all in there. It was just like trying to catch like who, who's here, who's here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because when that movie was made, I guess they didn't know the success. Well, actually, I don't know if it was that successful. It became a cult hit. Yeah. And quoted and many people watched it but maybe in the box office I don't that's why it probably took many years to make the, the sequel because oh, yeah, it was probably. not it was not successful business wise. Yeah, because actually I don't remember how it came how I came to watch it, whether I, I watched it once it came out on video or what. But I, I, I loved video stores because you would you would see everything right there in front of you and yeah. I would watch everything. I yeah. would like I say we would just lock ourselves in the house and watch everything. Uh, and now I feel like there are so many platforms that I don't know where to find them anymore. Yeah. So I miss a lot of the good movies. Yeah, I, I, I miss the, the video stores. Like I used to go to the video stores and like spend hours just like yeah. going over the, I already saw this and then like I was just watching to see like what, what I might be interested in. Exactly. Just because of the cover of the. Yeah, the, you find things like real good gems, yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, oh, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Do you know oh, that? Yeah, Guy Ritchie. Oh my. Okay, like I, I oh, see I your. They, at one time they used to call Guy Ritchie like the, like the Tarantino of the. Yeah. Okay. Like the so British. So I, I feel like this, this line in your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. I I try to be cool and alternative as a as a young person. You can see that clearly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean that is another one that we just quoted and informed my idea of, of what's funny. Of being a gangster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just hilarious. And snitch afterwards. And you know that then Guy Ritchie married Madonna, yeah. who I was a huge fan of. You're a big fan of Madonna. Big fan. The reason I came to Europe for the first time, to go see her concert in Budva, Montenegro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Guy Ritchie at the time was, I think they were introduced by Elton John, I think. Oh, really? I didn't even know. I can't Or remember. Sting? Like one, one Someone like that. Dinner. But uh, at the time, like he was like, like this up and coming celebrity director and the biggest pop star in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like an unlikely match. But uh, Lockstock and Two, Two Smoking Barrels, I remember watching it and I was just. Well, for me, it was a bit difficult to understand because of the accents. Mm. So. 
I'm sure I didn't get everything, but I just remember like really loving the dialogue, even if I couldn't understand it. Yeah. The dialogue had like like this cadence and like this flow. Yes. And um, just the, the the whole story, like the story of, of like it was complex, but it was told in such a uh, an easy way to follow. Yeah. And it's like just pretty inventive filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, it it felt like. You were taken on a ride. You yeah. were sitting there and he's like putting your seatbelt on and there you go. You just have to go with the flow. You're going to go twist and turns, ups and downs. And, and as you say, like the timing of the dialogue is just, it reminds me of the Gilmore Girls, which I also love. Yeah. But just the way they speak, like uh, you can just listen to that. And they speak like so fast. So fast. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was easy to follow because I grew up more with the British influence of TV than the US. For me, actually, the US was, was harder to, oh, okay. yeah. But uh, Guy Ritchie, I, I love his movies and I've always liked him, even when he was not uh, appreciated by the critics. And I think that he's, again, doing like, great work like, yeah. and appreciated by the, the critics like, once again. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine that he is not uh, one of the, seen as biggest, one of the biggest filmmakers. Yeah. I love the Sherlock Holmes movies. They're great. Yeah, yeah, the the two the two movies. Were, I, I prefer the first one, but, but mm, yeah, they're too. they're still pretty pretty good. Yeah. And even like last year, I put one of his his latest films in my top ten of the year. I think it's called Wrath of Man. Yeah. With Jason Statham, which he was the one who gave him his first exactly. role in oh. in Lobster. And he was so good. Yeah, I couldn't watch that movie. I'd ne- now that with the children, I never go out to see movies. Man? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a remake of a French film. Oh yeah. But I th- I haven't watched the the original, the French film, but I think that he injected a lot of his idiosyncrasies to the film, and he made it his own. And I really love this movie. It's really violent, but uh, yeah. So yeah, you cannot watch it with kids, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's really good. This was on my top ten uh, last oh, cool. year. Now I'm excited. I'm going to watch that. Um, Oh yeah, Moulin Rouge. I saw this in high school and uh, also again watched it for years afterwards. Yeah. Uh, introduced me to Baz Luhrmann and again it's a musical so I really loved it. Grease 2 is a musical also? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's just so beautiful and it also, it changed my life a little bit in the sense that there's one, there's one scene where the dwarf yells the greatest thing to learn is just to love and to be loved in return and i heard that over and over and over and over and i ignored it and then one day it clicked in my my brain what this means and i think it changed my life completely understanding the world a little bit better yeah. and it's just but it's just beautiful the music's beautiful the costumes are beautiful it's just i love that movie i think uh Bas Lerman is a genius yeah uh, and he's one of the filmmakers, not that I can do whatever filmmakers do, but he's one of the filmmakers that I cannot even like comprehend how you would put something like that on screen. Like, yeah. how, would, how would you like arrange everything to put that on screen? And he does it like again and again and again. He yeah. did it with Romeo and Juliet, he did it with... I've never watched Strictly Ballroom, but... Uh, I, was, I, I went to a drama school and the drama kids had to watch it. And I was in hostel, 
So I wanted to be in with the cool kids, so I watched it with them. And it was, I, I didn't realize it was a Baz Luhrmann uh, movie, but it was super cool. Loved it. Yeah, and the soundtrack of um, of Mulan Roof, like I also kept listening on, in a loop. Like Me too. <laughs> and actually, the the Madonna songs that they do on there, uh, with this one French singer man sings uh, one of her songs, I just I cry every time I hear it. It is so well done. Yeah, the Sting one, the the, one. the Elephant Love Medley. Um, the yeah. Even even like the. The one that they made a video for that was playing like on MTV and yeah. VH1 like all the time. Yeah. With Lil Kim and Christina Aguilera and all of that. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that movie. It also probably was very influential in the way that I I see like uh, love. <laughs> yeah. The romantic <laughs> side of it. The romantic idea of love. Yeah. 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 And the fact that it should be healing or, you know, in some way. and. Yeah, and uh, and Baz Luhrmann, like I just recently also watched his latest film Elvis, mm -hmm. and it's also like splendorous. Oh, I can't wait! So many movies in the last two or three years that I have to that I have to catch up. Catch on. up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Moulin Rouge, excellent pick. Yeah. Um, and then Life Aquatic with Steve Caesar. Ah, this oh. one I wouldn't have expected. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, like really big, and I remember. I first, I first came to the first film I saw was uh, Rushmore, mm -hmm. and then, and then I saw, no, then the the one the Royal Tenenbaums, mm. and I was a bit, and after the Life Aquatic, I was a bit disappointed when I when I watched it because it was not really what I expected. Yeah, I think for me it was the opposite because it's the first, I think I watched Rushmore and it, it didn't really click for me. It went, I don't even remember it. Maybe I didn't even watch it. Uh, but then when I watched this, it was a combination of many things. Bill Murray to me was just Brilliant. a revolution. I didn't know, I always knew, I saw him, but I didn't realize yeah. his brilliance. And then again, the soundtrack for me was the soundtrack with so so George like yeah. it's like the covers of David Bowie, but yes. like in it also introduced me to David Bowie, by the way. Uh, yeah, it was this was probably the theme song for my working life when I started working, and it was just marvelous. And then I went back to see the Royal Tin Bombs and uh, and mm. realized his brilliance. The Royal Tenements was one of the first DVDs that I bought. Oh yeah? The first one was Magnolia, and then I remember I got my first paycheck and I went to the to the shop and bought Magnolia. That <laughs> and, was a brilliant And movie. then like the third or fourth DVD was uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. My first DVD was Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, The Life Aquatic is, is brilliant and in that movie I think uh, Bill Murray is, is like so fantastic, like fantastic. this paternal figure and with all of the the family, like extended family. Yeah. Uh, and Owen Wilson is oh, great in that I'm movie. so in love with Owen Wilson. <laughs> He's like my favorite person on earth. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was great in that movie. Yeah. And have you watched the latest um, um, Wes Anderson film? Which one is it? 
What is it called? I think the last one I watched was Budapest Hotel. I don't know if I saw anything after that. Actually, Budapest I haven't watched yet. It was very good. I loved it. Yeah, I want to save it for a special day. But, but yeah, I mean, Wes Anderson is like... It's like... His latest film, I think that is the culmination of all of his style. His, oh, really? It's great. I can't remember. <laughs> forgot his, the name. But um, it's about like a collection of stories of a news... Like a, it's like an homage to the New Yorker, the magazine, oh, which is also influential, so influential in my life. Yeah. One of my dreams is to one day publish something on the New Yorker. Oh. <laughs> and this movie is like a love letter to that. Yeah. So, and it's also like shot like as if you were reading a magazine, like with like different like vignettes. Yeah. It's great. I recommend it. If you haven't watched it, like. I highly recommend it. It's like a little present if there's a movie of your favorite uh, movie. Like That's why I'm saving the Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Like I, I want to have it like, yes, like it's a gift just for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then Black Swan was one of my favorites. Oh my God. It's yeah. just, it changed. Natalie Portman. It just, just I, I, and that movie, it was so full, I had to sit right in the front. So, but I was so glad because the impact of this dance scenes with, there was all these close-ups of her, and it's like, and some of them lit up the, the theater like white, and others were more like the black, and it had such an impact on me. But also the, the psychological aspect of that movie had me so shaken when I walked out of there. But I also realized in that movie, oh, maybe this is something that is part of everyone's life, that we're all on a spectrum of this crazy spectrum. And I just enjoyed that movie, so, and it was just so beautiful. The, the ballet was beautiful. I did ballet as a child, and I just loved it. She's so beautiful. Yeah, Natalie. Natalie yeah. Portman, like, uh, I first, I, fr I remember watching Natalie Portman in The Professional, Leon, I think in some countries it's called, with John Reno, mm -hmm. and it's like I fell in love with her. <laughs> And, and she was, you realized she was a child. <laughs> I was also a child. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we were probably that's true. The same, because I think oh, she's from cool. 1980. Yeah. She's from my... So it was not... It was not weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was that. And then... When, when was the Black Swan? Black Swan, no. 2010. 2010? I think so. Okay. I, actually, that's where she met her, her husband. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Who was a choreographer, yeah. I think. But, like, I remember that movie... Darren Aronofsky is also, like, a brilliant filmmaker, but he's a bit more... Although I like him, he's a bit more not so easily accessible. Yeah. But I think that from his films, this is probably the most accessible of his films. And, and with Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis also, like, playing yeah. with this, like, it's amazing. Like, I'm in love with her, too. Yeah. And... I think that Natalie Portman won an Oscar for this. Oh, did she? Well, she deserved it. She was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the film was like, like the psychological aspect, but also the way it was shot, like yeah. everything. Yeah. And I say that it's more, he's most accessible because he has some that are really difficult to, to comprehend. But still, this one has a lot of things, like, and it has like so many layers. Every time you watch it, you realize something different and you think, oh, this is, okay, this is, maybe I got this wrong the first time I watched it. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, I should, I should watch it again. Yeah, I love it. And then I have to, my lo I have to mention the last one. 
It's Johnny English Reborn, the second Johnny English. Okay. It changed my life because I went to the movies very sneakily with my professor, <laughs> which I really shouldn't have. He asked me, can we go to the movies? And I'm like, we really should not do this. Okay, and then we get to the movies and there's nothing to watch. And he says, Johnny English. I was like, oh, really? We're going to watch? Because I remember there was a Johnny English before and like, this is not my type of movie. And then we went in there and we both laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I'm so impressed that he, he laughed at this type of uh, slapstick kind of comedy. And Your then, professor? Yeah, he was my professor. He came, <laughs> he came to my master's program <laughs> to give me a, a dispute settlement. <laughs> I see. I, the, I don't remember the movie. Which one? Which one is it? Well, I'm a big James Bond fan, like yeah. big, and I always love the movies that like spoof James Bond. Yeah. But this one was. I don't know. It was. Uh, I'm not a big Mr. Bean fan. But, yeah, me neither. Uh, I don't remember this one. Which one is the second one? I don't. I don't even remember what happened. The reason is the one I, with Anne, Anne Hathaway. I know. I think that's the third one. I think the second. But I could be wrong. I don't remember. We watched this. I, the reason it changed my life is because after that we became a couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was really funny. Uh, but actually, I just thought of something I forgot now. But oh yes, he was also uh, in the Black Adder. Uh, did you ever watch Black Adder? It's very British, so it's. Uh, It's in mm -hmm. the same vein as, what is the other comedy from the UK that everyone watched? Um, like the troupe of men that, no, I don't remember, I can't believe I don't remember. But whenever you hear an interview with a comedian, they've watched those uh, um, comedies. So I knew, I, I, I appreciated Blackadder, but not Mr. Bean. Yeah, actually, although I said that I was not a big Mr. Bean fan, like my daughters love that, love him. And I remember enjoying Johnny English. I, I don't remember the second one, but like I, I think I watched the first one. I yeah. even in the second one, and I, I remember like enjoying them. Yeah, I mean he's. A, I mean you have to whether you like his style of comedy or not. He is a. He is a. He, brilliant. he has been really influential in comedy. Yeah, in so many different types of things. His characters are iconic. And my daughter was actually telling me about a show on Netflix, Man vs. V which is with, with Rowan Atkinson, the, oh, yeah? the, um, and she was like, telling me it's brilliant, so... Wow, <laughs> but isn't it cool how it spans over generations and, and they can enjoy it? Yeah, so that's the last that's, one? Yeah, that's the, my 10 movies. So my last influential movie is from 2011, just goes to show, I think, the big things happen <laughs> in your 20s. <laughs> well, I think that music, the music that you grew up with, Listen when you're like a teenager. It's like the music that you will listen forever. That's why I keep playing to my daughter's music from the 70s and 90s, which is what I grew up listening. Yeah. And I'm completely oblivious to what came. After. I don't know what the the kids are listening to now. Yeah, like I don't because also you don't. The radio stations even play the old songs because mm. kids these days they don't <laughs> listen to the radio anymore. They find their music somewhere else, and I don't know where to find it. Yeah. anymore well it has been a really great discussion yeah, thanks. <laughs> and it I think fun. now I know a bit more about you <laughs> based on your peaks 
yeah, I think it um, informs a lot about a person, the movies and songs and things I like. Thank you, Marieke. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Rolf. It was fun. This was the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?